Father, as we contemplate the death of your son, Jesus. Would you speak to us afresh of your grace, of your mercy, and of your love? And would you help us to know how we respond to this incredible act of mercy and of love? So inspire us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our story begins very early in the morning. And the night before had been quite a significant evening. Jesus had had the last supper with his friends. He had been betrayed by one of his closest friends. He'd been arrested and he'd also been denied by one of his closest friends as well. So it was early the next morning and the chief priests and the elders met together to put the finishing touches to their plot. And their plot was to have Jesus killed, to have him killed by the Roman authorities because they weren't allowed under Jewish law to have him killed. So they bound Jesus in chains and they sent him off to Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, the Roman governor. Judas was full of remorse and he decided he was going to return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. So he went to the temple to see the chief priests and the elders and he said to them, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have condemned an innocent man to die. They said, what's he got to do with us? It's your problem. So Judas flung the 30 pieces of silver upon the temple floor and he went out and he hung himself. The chief priests and the elders didn't quite know what to do with this money. They said, we can't put it in the temple treasury because this is, this is blood money. So what they decided to do was to buy a field called the potter's field. And they used it as a burial ground for foreigners. And actually this fulfilled a prophecy that was foretold in Zechariah and Jeremiah. So Jesus stood before the Roman governor Pilate. And Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responded, it is as you say. And then the chief priests and the elders hurled their accusations at Jesus. But Jesus remained silent. Pilate said to Jesus, why don't you answer these accusations? But again, Jesus remained silent and Pilate was amazed. Now Pilate had introduced a custom uh, which happened every Passover this time of year, which was that he would release a prisoner to the Jewish people. And it just so happened that there was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, uh, a revolutionary, a murderer, who had been arrested and had been condemned to die. So the crowd had begun to gather outside Pilate's house, and he turned to the crowd and he said, who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, known as the Messiah? And the crowd shouted, Barabbas! As Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, a message came to him from his wife. And the message from his wife was this. Do not harm that innocent man. For I have been greatly disturbed and have suffered in a dream about him. So Pilate turned again to the crowd 
And he said to them, who do you want me to release? Pilate or Jesus, known as the Messiah? And they shouted, Barabbas. But what shall I do with Jesus, the one called the Messiah, he said to them. Crucify him, they called. But why? What crime has he committed? But the crowd just shouted even louder, crucify him. Pilate could see he was getting nowhere and that a riot might even happen. So he sent for a bowl of water. And before the crowd, he washed his hands in this bowl of water. He said, I don't want anything to do with this man's blood. I'm going to wash my hands of the whole situation. It's your responsibility now. And the crowd called back, yes, we take the responsibility, us and our children. So Pilate had Barabbas released to them, to the crowd. And then he ordered that Jesus would be flogged. So Jesus was flogged. And the soldiers decided they were going to have some fun. They led him to the praetorium, the headquarters of the soldiers, the Roman soldiers. And they put on, they took his clothes off and they put on a scarlet robe. They also made a crown out of of thorns and they put it upon his head. And then they gave him a reed stick to hold. And then they mocked him. They bowed down before him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat upon him and they beat him with a stick. When they'd finished having their fun, they led him to the place of crucifixion. And that was a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. As they were on their way, it became apparent that Jesus was too weak from the beating and the flogging to carry the cross. So they forced one of the people along the way, a guy called Simon, who was from a place in Africa called called Cyrene, now part of Libya. And they enlisted him to carry the cross. And they got to the place of crucifixion. And there they offered Jesus some drugged wine. But as he tasted it, he, he refused it. And so the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. And then they cast lots for his clothing, which again fulfilled scripture, an Old Testament prophecy. They crucified him alongside two notorious rebels, one on his left and one on his right. And they put a sign above his head which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. At about the sixth hour, which was 12 noon, the brightest part of the day, the sun actually disappeared, the whole place went dark. And as Jesus was hanging there, passers-by hurled insults at him and they mocked him. They shook their heads and they said, he saved others. Surely he can save himself. He said that he could destroy the temple and it could be rebuilt in three days. Surely he can save himself. He said he was the son of God. And similarly, the chief priests and the teachers and the elders, they passed by and they mocked him. They said, he said he could save others. Why can't he save himself? He said he was the king of Israel. 
Well, why doesn't God come and save him? Take him down from the cross? If he does that, we'll believe. He said he was the son of God. If, if he's the son of God, why doesn't God come and save him? The darkness continued. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The bystanders misheard him and they thought he was calling out for Elijah. And one of them put some bitter wine on the end of a stick and offered it to Jesus. He refused. And they said, well, let's just wait to see if Elijah saves him. And then Jesus called out again and cried out. And this was his final breath. He gave up his spirit. And at that very moment, the curtain in the temple, which separated the people from the holiest place in the temple, it tore from top to bottom. And the earth shook, rocks split, and the tombs were opened. And the soldiers who were standing there and their their boss, the centurion, they were terrified. And they were amazed. And the centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. And all this time, the women who had been following Jesus and caring for his needs and those of the disciples were there at some distance. They were there watching and waiting. It's, it's so easy, isn't it, with such a familiar story to allow it to just wash over us. But how do we respond this morning? How do we respond to what Jesus did? Why did he have to die in this appalling way? Why did he have to die in this way? Well, I think at the heart of the answer is because we're actually all guilty. We all experience shame and guilt to varying degrees. There's a story of Arthur Conan Doyle uh, playing a practical joke, and he sent a message to 12 uh, people of good standing in London saying, flee, all has been revealed. And apparently six of them left the country. We all have things in our lives, don't we, that we're ashamed of, that we're guilty, of, that we feel guilty about. And we all react in different ways. Judas felt remorse. But interestingly, the word that's used is a less strong word than the word repentance. He didn't actually feel, he didn't repent, but he just realized what the consequences of his actions were which is a good first step, of course. But he didn't truly repent. He didn't turn to the one person who could have offered him forgiveness, Jesus. And yet, and he went out and hung himself, a desperate act. And yet we contrast that with Peter, who moments earlier had denied Jesus, denied even knowing him. But yet Jesus, later on we read, restored Peter. Peter fully repented, 
fully took responsibility for his actions and came to the one who could offer him forgiveness. And Jesus restored him. And it was in fact Peter that then became the rock upon whom the church was built. So how do we respond? Well, first of all, we have to acknowledge that we are guilty. I don't know about you, but it's very easy, isn't it, for us to think, well, I'm not quite as bad as him. I'm not quite as bad as her. I don't really need forgiving that much because I've been quite a good lad, really. But actually, a wonderful picture of what Jesus did is what happened to Barabbas. Barabbas was guilty. Barabbas actually means son of the father. In fact, other other manuscripts say that he was called Jesus Barabbas. So here was Jesus Barabbas, son of the father. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Also a son of the father. And yet Jesus literally took Barabbas' place. That cross was for Barabbas. But because of the fickleness of the crowd, Barabbas was released and Jesus was condemned to die. And that's exactly what happens to us. Now you might say, well, I'm not as bad as Barabbas. But actually we're all guilty. We all have done things that have separated us from God. And it's a mystery and it's hard to explain and many people have explained it in different ways. But because Jesus died, it meant that we don't have to face the consequences of our sinfulness and our shame. That we can be forgiven. But we have to accept that we are guilty. We have to accept that there are things that we should be ashamed of. But then to realize that if we put our trust in Jesus, he can take that away completely. He takes our place in the same way that he took the place of Barabbas. Isn't that wonderful? That is the gospel. That is the good news. It's grace. It's not fair. It's not fair. Why should, why should Barabbas be forgiven? Why should, the woman caught, why should the woman caught in adultery be forgiven? Why should the woman who anointed Jesus' feet be forgiven when she'd done so much terrible stuff? Well, for the same reason that we are forgiven. Because God loves us. And he longs for the relationship we have with him to be restored. A wonderful picture of this is the temple curtain being torn from top to bottom. The temple in the curtain was about 30 foot high. It was thick. It was probably the, the width of a hand. And it was, the, it was a physical symbol of the fact that only the high priest could access God's presence. And even that was only once a year. But yet, because of Jesus' death, that curtain has been torn. The way has been opened so that we have, have full access to the Father. We have full access to his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. So who are we? Who are we? Are we like the bystanders? Are we like the religious leaders who are self-satisfied and think they have all the answers? Or are we humble, waiting in expectation like the women who faithfully waited there, who didn't abandon Jesus? 
But even if we know that we are people who have let Jesus down, he invites us to come to him, to put our trust in him, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his grace. And also to recognize that actually when we do that, when we put our trust in Jesus, in some way we are entering into the suffering of Jesus too. You know, we live in a broken world. And it's naive at best to think that as Christians that we won't also suffer. Because we live in a broken world. And there are no easy answers to suffering. But actually what we do know is that we follow a suffering saviour. And that when we suffer, we know that Jesus suffers with us. And we also have that hope of a resurrection, the hope of new life, the hope of a place where there are no more tears, where there is no more mourning or crying. But actually we are called to walk with others who suffer. We are called to walk in that tension of knowing that there is both great joy in knowing Christ because there is forgiveness and freedom but also that by following Christ, we will sometimes suffer. Not as Christ did for many of us, but in many ways. The question is, are we suffering the right things? Are we sacrificing the right things? And the way to know that is to know whether we are being obedient to what God calls us to do. How is he calling us to follow Christ? Is what we're doing the thing that God has called us to do? So how do we respond to Jesus? The one who turned what it means to be a king on its head. A king who didn't rule by suppression and violence, but who ruled by sometimes remaining silent, by suffering and by dying in our place. So how do we respond? Let's just take a moment to Respond to the Lord. And it might be that he is calling us to recommit ourselves to him afresh today. Or even for the first time for some of us. To say, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. I give you my guilt and my shame. And I ask you to forgive me. To fill me with your spirit so I can follow you.